Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. One of the president's ride-or-die defenders is legal advisor Jenna Ellis. It's such a political prosecution and a political persecution. Quote. This to me is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's revisionist originalism. Tolerance just isn't a two-way street with the Democrats. And I think that tells you all we need to know. Newsmax contributor and former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Good morning, good morning. I'm Jenna Ellis, and you're listening to Jenna Ellis in the morning. And the top story this morning is uh, why an absence of A-listers at Davos is not just deep trouble for the World Economic Forum, but for globalism as well. And so uh, Sky News actually had the headline today that said the world uh, Davos thrived in is disintegrating, and the summit has fewer heavyweights attending than in years gone by as the era of globalization itself appears to be ending. That's interesting. But the post-millennial just dropped a story literally moments ago uh, saying breaking Klaus Schwab opens the World Economic Annual Meeting, uh, World Economic Forum Annual Meeting with a call to, quote, master the future. Uh, That may be the tone and uh, their headline for this particular meeting. So reports yesterday had said that Schwab would not be attending. So what does this actually mean? Well, my first guest is uh, very familiar with the World Economic Forum uh, with Davos, which of course is at its core a four-day-long meeting of uh, business people, politicians, academics, campaigners, even celebrities that come together to discuss globalism. So Louis Brackpool is a reporter and a journalist for I. Iconic Media, spelled I-C-K-N-O-I-C, Iconic Media, and was actually part of a documentary series that I would highly recommend that goes uh, really a deep dive into the World Economic Forum and the mindset behind why these globalists are doing what they're doing. So, Lewis, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Good morning. Good morning, Jenna. It's good to, good to hear from you again. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed um, our interviews. And for those who are listening, um, Lewis and I did a two-part series on my podcast, The Jenna Ellis Show. You can find that on Rumble or thejennaellisshow.com and uh, really went in depth there as well. So, uh, Lewis, what it, first of all, um, just a little bit of the history of why Davos and this annual meeting is important and what it signals to you that some of these A-listers uh, like George Soros and Bill Gates aren't attending. Yeah, so the World Economic Forum has been going since 1971, I believe, when uh, Klaus Schwab decided to found this this organization, or I call it an anti-human organization because of what they spout. And really, it's all centered around, um, it's it's kind of centered around climate change. It's centered around uh, the idea of overpopulation that these uh, elites have been badgering on about since the 70s and uh, and keep regurgitating this, I, I like to call it misinformation personally, they like to call people like me uh, <laughs> spreading misinformation about <laughs> them, even though that I'm just repeating exactly what they are saying. Like and, lips um, of TikTok, basically. You know, anybody yeah. who just simply repeats what the leftists are saying, somehow that's misinformation. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. It's crazy, isn't it? Um, so this... Uh, this organization has been running for quite a while, but they've gained prominence uh, since the COVID era has started uh, back in 2020 or more predominantly back in 2014 when they started to talk about uh, reshaping and reimagining the world that we live in. 
And their idea is of a, a global great reset is what they describe where they want to take the economic sectors of society, uh, environmental parts of society and wider society in general and just reshape how we think and live, um, which doesn't sound uh, technocratic at all, <laughs> really, but uh, they've been trying to implement this type of uh, this global governance almost um, for quite a long time uh, with influence of, uh, of foreign policy. This is why you see the, the, the richest of the richest and the most elite of the elite attending these summits every year. Last year when I was there, it was all about regaining trust, which implied to me that the, the ordinary person like uh, me and yourself, Jenna, uh, can actually see right through it and that they do have this trust barrier that is slowly depleting. And now with a lot of the attendants... Uh, sort of absent this year it's it's showing that this trust is is breaking which i see is, is a good thing and i believe that the reason why these uh people like macron rishi sunak from the uk george soros as well pulling out um actually signifies that people are clocking on to uh to their schemes and their ideas and thinking that uh this reimagining of the world is actually going to be pretty disastrous. And I think people are seeing through that. That's interesting. And I'm talking to uh, Lewis Brackpool, who's a reporter with Iconic Media, and, uh, and and you have been to Davos. And so in, in this initial speech, when um, Schwab, who it was reported yesterday, wasn't going to attend, but of course, he's the founder, and he did make uh, the opening statement with the call to, quote, master the future. Uh, what does that set in terms of, of the tone of where then uh, Davos might be headed in terms of the philosophy behind why they would choose that particular phrase? Because um, as you've mentioned and pointed out to me before, um, each of their meetings uh, has a specific um, agenda or a motto, if you will, to uh, to guide the discussion. So what does it say to you, to you that um, their call to master the future is the emphasis at this meeting? Well, it sounds just like another James Bond film, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> it really where, does. Klaus, where Klaus Schwab is playing the villain. Um, so we're seeing this more and more. I think it's all about narratives and it's all about taking control of what that particular narrative is, whether it be COVID to start with, whether it be Ukraine now, and whether it be climate change, I've always said that it also it all moves in different shapes and sizes. And now it's all to do with climate change and, of course, uh, the Ukraine war. And I think it sets a quite dystopian precedence, really, for the future of, of what our world is, is to look like. And that's just repeating what they're saying, because their idea now of uh, if we talk about climate change, um, and of course, technology, which they of course talk about quite a bit, they want to they want to move towards or transition towards this uh, CBDCs, which are central bank digital currencies, where they want to phase out cash. I mean, this this idea was preheaded by the World Economic Forum and all of these uh, shady organisations, where they like the idea of. Um, no cash in society where everyone's put on a centralized system where that way users or people that are part of this system can be easily tracked and monitored 
And that way you cannot see the transaction between cash uh, to either a business or your friends or family or anything. And it's all, it's all data. Data is the most powerful tool that they can use. This is why they talk a lot of things about transhumanism as well, fusing technology with man itself, basically trying to play God, which is scary in of itself. And it sets a quite a, a dangerous precedent, but people can see it now, which is, I think the biggest mistake they made was to be so open with it because everyone's now sort of repeating what they're saying and saying, that's, that's a bit weird, isn't it? What they're saying about wanting everyone on a, on a central bank dig digital currency. They want to phase out cash. They want to fuse man and machine. I think that's pretty, you know, I don't know how many sci-fi books Klaus Schwab reads, but, you know, it's kind of taking a bit of a turn. So I think people can see through it. And um, hopefully we're going to see more and more people wake up to, uh, to what's actually happening. I'm talking with Lewis Brackpool, who is a, a journalist for Iconic Media. And Lewis, you mentioned the, the regaining trust and uh, how they have been so open with this and their agenda through the whole uh, COVID narrative. And mm. what I saw through that as well is that that was almost just a, a test and a precursor to lay the precedent for a future where the government system or the globalist system could mm. control actions of any uh, citizen in any nation of the world by saying this is in your best interests for your health. Mm. You have to do this to protect everyone else. The, the talking points in the narrative that came out of COVID was you're taking the vaccine to protect everyone else. And so sure, it was yeah. this mentality of the common good, which of course is the, um, is the worldview that we don't have any uh, God-given individual rights. We can't make our own mm. decisions for what's in our best interest uh, for health and safety and so forth. We have to then cede all of our rights to what the government tells us to do this uh, almost a, a philanthropic sort of um, ideologue-driven uh, greater good. And mm. so how successful or unsuccessful do you think that that was for them to try to lay the precedent, which ultimately, thankfully, failed uh, here in the United States uh, mm. very, very much because of the Supreme Court and because our Constitution, thankfully, still um, mm. restrains the government from that much overreach. But for two years uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, that's what was being pushed so hard by the left. Uh, how... How much do you think that that failed in terms of uh, their ability to then use something like climate change, for example, as the next pretext for health and safety and saying, OK, we are going to now force you uh, as American citizens or as globalist citizens, I mean, anywhere mm -hmm. in the world to then cede to whatever they mandate and suggest on the basis of this is dealing with an emergency? What's what's troubling is um, the World Economic Forum put out a video yesterday, I believe, or the day before, where they were gloating about um, uh, editing genomes. And what they gloat about as well is is actually admitting that um, that the vaccines that people have, have taken and uh, was prescribed to, um, they are actually now admitting that it is gene therapeutics. And this is what's troubling because they they like to 
they like to sort of give a window of um, of what they what they want to do and what they want to implement, and it's almost like um, white lies, or it's almost like they want to. Uh, they kind of just sort of dabble with um, with what they want to sort of plan for the future. So what's interesting about all that is, in terms of failing and succeeding in what they're doing, we have to remember that the this organisation has extremely powerful people around them, and whether they're at the at the meeting or the summits each year is is kind of really irrelevant. I believe that these people are actually gophers in a way because. They're not the true face of it. So what I think in terms of success and failure with the World Economic Forum is now that people are starting to see who they truly are and repeating exactly what they're saying and, you know, you get the odd Twitter trolls that come on and say, oh, no, conspiracy theory. And it's like, well, you can't do that. <laughs> can't really say that now because we're just repeating what they're saying. We've noticed as well that they're, they're starting to scrub what they used to say, so the the classic "you'll own nothing and be happy" and abolition of the of the private sector, where you know owning a car and uh, petrol and diesel and, and banning that before 2030, and seeing 2030 throughout every single uh, narrative or talking point that the WEF uh, throws at the public. I think they made a grave mistake by being way too honest, and they're now starting to backtrack. <laughs> Um, that's encouraging, so, actually. Yeah, I think. it is. It is. I think yeah, that's encouraging. And, I, and so, in just the last uh, minute that I have here sure. uh, with you, uh, Lewis, I, I, I want you to just explain also the documentary where people can find that um, mm. because I think looking at where they're going to be headed from here, they're going to have to get more creative um, and probably a little bit more shady. Uh, to then put forward their narrative. And it's really important for listeners to understand who they are, what they're doing. And I think this documentary is is really fascinating. Absolutely. Well, you can go to exposetherecept.com uh, where you can watch the trailer. We've put out two um, episodes. That was with my previous company, Rebel News. But we also dive into it a bit more over at iconic.com, spelled I-C-K-O-N-I-C.com. But uh, if you want to watch the, the Great Reset documentary, it's uh, exposetherecept.com. Excellent. Well, Lewis Brackpool, thank you so much for your insights. As always, um, I appreciate everything that you do. And uh, we'll have you on again soon. So you're listening to Jenna Ellis in the morning. We'll be right back. the abortion pill accounts for over 50% of all abortions? Preborn Ministry continues to stand with women in crisis in their darkest hour and bring hope and life. After Marissa took the abortion pill, she immediately regretted it, but Preborn was there for her. Look at that baby. Look how beautiful he is. Look at that. Abortion pill reversal actually works. Let's hear his heartbeat. Oh, look how strong it is. Oh, praise God. By God's amazing grace, this baby was saved, but many more need our help. 
To learn how you can be a part of rescuing babies' lives and sharing the heart of Jesus, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. In this season of giving, you can be the answer to their prayer today. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International, and since Labor Day, we've been working toward a goal of putting God's Word into the hands and hearts of 16,000 Bibleist believers around the world. Here's a few that are praying for a Bible. Ahmed is a former Muslim beaten by extremists when he came to faith in Christ. He's praying for a Bible. Miriam is a widowed mother of three in Mozambique, Africa. Very sadly, her husband was killed by the Boko Haram regime, but she's praying for a Bible. Carla was a follower of Pagan practices in Venezuela. He's praying for a Bible now as a Christ follower. And then Washi and her husband are livestock farmers in China. They want to raise their children to know and love Jesus. They're praying for a Bible. Listen, to date, you've put 10,000 Bibles into the hands of Bibleist believers. We'd love to see another 6,000 by the end of the year. So please, at $5 a Bible, would you make your most generous gift by calling 800 Yes Word? 800 Yes Word. 800 Yes Word or give at sendbiblesnow.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starn. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. Rebecca Phillips had just finished swimming at the YMCA in Santee, California. The 17-year-old was taking a shower when she spotted a grown, naked man in the women's locker room. The teen quickly got dressed, alerted YMCA management, but instead of calling the cops, they scolded Rebecca. Turns out the Y has a policy that allows men who identify as women to use the locker rooms of their choice. Rebecca took her concerns to the Santee City Council. She said the YMCA made her feel as if she had done something wrong. But under California law, the Y was well within its rights to do what they did. So as a matter of public service, ladies and gentlemen, you need to be aware that if your daughter goes to a YMCA gym, she could encounter a fully grown but naked man. I'd consider exercising at your local church recreation center. I'm Todd Stearns. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. I'm Jenna Ellis and a few of your top headlines this morning before we are going to open the phone lines in this segment. So if you want to call in and ask a question, uh, give us a comment. It's 888-589-8840-888-589-8840. One of the great stories this week is that new Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders signed seven important executive orders on day one in Arkansas, cutting the size of state government, reforming the unemployment system, and importantly, banning CRT in schools and removing the offensive term, according to her, quote-unquote, Latinx, which I think that's a great thing. So here's what she had to say on Fox News Sunday. Uh, Play cut three. It's incredibly important that we do things to protect the students 
in our state. We have to make sure that we are not indoctrinating our kids and that these policies and these ideas never see the light of day. We should never teach our kids to hate America or that America is a racist and evil country. In fact, it should be the exact opposite. We know for a fact that the Federal Department of Education issued CRT guidance and policies to every school district in the country. Our job is to protect the students and we're gonna take steps every single day to make sure we do exactly that. And that's the reason I signed the executive order. I'm proud of the fact that we're taking those steps and we're gonna continue to do it every single day that I'm in office. That is so fantastic, and I think that uh, Sarah Sanders would be eventually a great candidate for president. Um, she is amazing. Um, I, of course, got to know her personally uh, when she worked for the Trump administration, and uh, importantly, using the power of a governor's office to say, we are not going to through public education and state-funded education. And remember, these are government schools. Uh, I don't even like to call them public schools. These are government-run institutions uh, to teach a history of the United States that is built on a foundation and an ideology of racism. And it's not even just history of the United States that's skewed under CRT. It is... Um, it, it, it is an entire philosophy that goes further into a wide variety of other subjects. And um, interestingly, you know, we've seen how the left is trying to minimize that and saying, oh, CRT doesn't even exist in schools. Well, why then would they be so angry about these bans of CRT being taught if CRT wasn't even being taught in school? If, if they were, if these Republican governors we're eliminating something that wasn't even being taught, then what's their problem with it? It would be like saying, you know, we are no longer going to allow children to fly while they're at school. Well, no one would care because nobody's doing that anyway, right? So this is all about government-run institutions trying to indoctrinate children and trying to get a foothold into how they think through and process the world, the culture around them, and government before and over and above the parents uh, when, and before they even get to college. So a lot of these concepts, um, I agree with my friend Ben Shapiro when he says um, about CRT and some of these other things, if you want to teach some of these ideologies as critical thinking and critical analysis in a forum of academia in college, that's totally fine. I mean, I studied worldviews and, of course, all of the God substitutes, but from a critical perspective, not being taught to children as truth and as the only viewpoint, but studying various viewpoints so that we can learn what do people think, what what do we think about the biblical worldview and how that relates to uh, to truth and reality and how these other worldviews have a different explanation of the world. So we need to be very careful not uh, to go along with the talking points of the leftist media when they're saying it doesn't matter if we ban CRT. It absolutely does. And speaking of things that are racist, uh, there is a House Democrat that introduced legislation yesterday of course, on the holiday celebrating Martin Luther King Jr. that introduced legislation to end free speech for white people. Uh, this is actually true. House Democrat Sheila Jackson Lee of Texas uh, is introducing legislation that would end free speech for white people in the United States. This was uh, according to TrendingPoliticsNews.com, also a really good alternative outlet. The representative in this legislation wants to define hate speech that only white people can 
or would be charged with. So her legislation is called Leading Against White Supremacy Act of 2023, which clearly suggests that this bill only applies to white people. White people would not be allowed to ask questions about open borders, criticize minorities, or advocate for preserving American culture. So under this legislation proposed by Jackson Lee, a white person could face federal imprisonment for simply posting online about the impact of open borders, immigration on American culture, similar to what is happening in some far-left European countries where the government targets its own citizens. So according to this bill, This is a quote, a person engages in white supremacy inspired hate crime when white supremacy ideology has motivated the planning, development, preparation or perpetration of actions that constituted a crime or were undertaken in furtherance of activity that, if effectuated, would have constituted a crime. So the short version of that is that uh, these are thought crimes, which is the substance of hate crimes motivation. And now any crime, anything that is against the law that has been uh, outlawed in a society where we have a measurable difference between right and wrong, every society has uh, things that are permissive and things that are prohibited in society. That's the definition of criminal law. And the motivations, of course, can be different, and that can go to prove the intent element or the mens rea in criminal law, which is, of course, the uh, the cognitive knowing what you are doing, the intent piece uh, of that criminal activity. But to say that someone is motivated based on something that is a a matter of uh, opinion and to say that just because someone is motivated to post online because the government happens to believe that they are a quote-unquote white supremacist you can see the danger in that and where that would lead so this type of legislation is not only Uh, ridiculously unconstitutional against the First Amendment protections that do protect people's ideology, even if they were white supremacists. Now, of course, I'm not advocating here at all for white supremacists, uh, white supremacism or any type of racism. Um, We know that the Bible is the only worldview that teaches that every human being, regardless of race, regardless of age, regardless of any other immutable characteristic, all human beings have inherent dignity and worth because we are made in God's image. Any other way of categorizing human beings uh, based on value, based on gender, based on age, based on anything else where all the leftist worldviews categorize people that way, and even into people who have personhood versus don't have personhood yet, those arbitrary lines of distinctions always devalue one category over another. And in our culture today, the category that is currently being devalued uh, are white people. And to say that anyone who thinks it's okay to be white is therefore a white supremacist. Um, it's, it's the inverse of the, the whole problem with uh, what Martin Luther King Jr. was actually addressing during the civil rights movement when there was a racist tenor against black people. And to say we shouldn't be judged by the color of our skin, but the content of our character. And so we're seeing this this really odd dynamic 
that if you are a white person today in American society, that you should apologize categorically. You should not have um, any belief system that uh, is not motivated by white supremacy, according to this legislation, and that you can't apparently even post online on social media some of your political perspectives if you are motivated by this notion of white supremacy. And that even extends to some black conservatives anymore. And I've seen this um, quite a bit online on social media and even friends of mine who are part of uh, the black community and, and they're African-American themselves and yet they're not black enough because they promote the biblical worldview. So therefore, because they don't buy into this inverse racism, they're somehow not black enough, which is just the most disgusting worldview. But the problem uh, beyond this wildly crazy ideology is that this type of legislation would only further foment racism. It would further uh, foment this whole idea of a chilling effect on free speech for anyone who has any sort of a viewpoint. And even if we hate what people say, we vehemently disagree with it. The First Amendment protects people's rights to have opinions that we disagree with. So even if someone was a white supremacist and they posted that kind of stuff online, that in and of itself is not and should not be a quote-unquote hate crime. Because how does then the government uh, suggest that some viewpoints are not preferred and therefore criminalized, and the government can, in its own, uh, under its own metric, decide what is and is not okay for people to speak. That's the danger here. And so we need to be very cautious, of course, always in precedent in the law to say, how could this be applied further down the road that would eventually foreclose uh, the rights of everyone in this country or the rights of conservatives, even if we like specific legislation. Uh, so even if people who are listening would like this type of legislation, we always have to be concerned about precedent and hate crimes as an entire category, I think are very, very dangerous to punish motivation based on belief when the entire point of the First Amendment and our first liberties is a right to believe, a right to speak, to have viewpoints that the government cannot outlaw. And the other part of this is that this type of legislation, whether or not we agree with it or think it's a good idea, there is no power that's given to the federal government under the United States Constitution that would allow this type of legislation uh, to even go through in the first place. And so this is yet another example of where uh, members of the federal government, particularly Congress, but often executive orders out of uh, the president's office and then some judicial activism as well, based on what the Supreme Courts decide. This is an example where this idea is promoted and promulgated by a representative who simply wants to usurp power that she does not have. The Constitution doesn't allow every crazy leftist or even every extreme person on the right, and we have extremes on both sides, to come up with legislation and pass it just because they think it's a good idea. That is the whole point of limiting powers in the federal government and even on the state level as well, to say there are certain subject matters that you can legislate on, 
But beyond that, you don't have authority. And here, Congress does not have authority to pass this kind of legislation. So those are a couple of uh, top headlines today. I want to get to the phone lines because I promised we would. So if you want to call in, 888-589-8840. That's 888-589-8840. Let's go first to Shirley in Tennessee. Good morning, Shirley. To Sarah Huckabee. I am so excited. And I hope we all join in. And I'm very thankful that the Lord has some people out here fighting the new world order and their wicked, evil plans. And so I want to give all praise to Jesus for another glorious morning. And uh, I just want to trust the Lord. I tell people all the time, we don't have to worry about who the president is or who our representative is more than we should worry about our king is. We need to worry about Christ and make sure we're doing what he said do and being pleasing in his sight. We have a king, so it doesn't matter. Uh, A lot of people are talking about who they'll vote for and wondering who's going to run and it's Trump and Pence and all of this. I'm not worried about any of it. We got a king. Yes. Well, Shirley, thanks so much for your call. And um, your line is dropping a little bit, but I think we got uh, most of what you wanted to say. And I I appreciate that so much and agree that, um, you know, I love Sarah Sanders and what we're doing as well. We do need to keep praying for this country and for this nation and make sure that uh, we continue to have the hope and the joy that is found in Christ, regardless of what the World Economic Forum is doing, (laughs) regardless of what anyone is doing. Um, So uh, we, we will get to a couple of your calls in a moment, but also also wanted to mention the additional classified documents found in Joe Biden's possession and the House Judiciary Committee that opened that investigation. So uh, we are still tracking that story. And uh, you, you, of course, know my perspective is that the documents that were found in Biden's possession have a lot of interesting facts and circumstances that we don't know that I think is very, very problematic for Joe Biden. And it's going to be very interesting to see uh, where this goes. I think the timing is suspicious, the fact that it's his personal attorneys that are finding these, and that they are now in multiple locations. So uh, even Joe Rogan said on his podcast, which uh, whether or not you like Joe Rogan, he's very influential, uh, has the uh, widest heard podcast, uh, I think, possibly globally, but at least in the United States, and said yesterday that he thinks this is just a setup for uh, Joe Biden. And that's what I've been saying all this week. And so whether or not uh, we see that the Democrats are setting up Biden for a fall, well, that remains to be seen. But it'll be very interesting to see how uh, the White House and Uh, the Democrats end up dealing with this. So we'll continue to monitor that story. We'll be right back with more on Jenna Ellis in the morning, taking your phone calls, 888-589-8840. I'm Jenna Ellis. We'll be right back. That wasn't stereo right there, fellas. <laughs> that uh, was that's jumbled. Good. We were struggling. The bumblebee was called the humblebee. 
Is that true? Chicken legs are also called drumsticks. Yeah, yeah, that's not a good ice cream flavor. They've got some little tiny saddles that they put on those dragons. <laughs> Unfortunately, you can only ride them once. Because then they turn around and take your yeah. leg off. Hey, Andrew, you want to ask it? I'm so excited about getting on. I missed my exit. <laughs> Friday mornings at 10 Central on American Family Radio. Mom is a face washer, a coupon clipper, and a listening ear. She's a diaper changer, a laundry folder, and a mender of hearts. She's a master juggler of the jobs of the day. She's simply incredible and incredibly busy. At One Million Moms, we understand the hurried pace of the average mom. That's why we've made it so easy for you to take a stand against the trash that's in today's media. Visit OneMillionMoms.com. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. In his October 11, 1798 address to the Massachusetts militia, John Adams, second president of the United States and founding father, said, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. He understood that in order for the American Constitutional Republic to survive long term, the church in America must make disciples of its populace. And immoral people will always destroy themselves through lawlessness. To think otherwise is to suffer under a grand delusion. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that's MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for health care can save the typical family 500 bucks a month, and that's huge, but it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch to the customer satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So yeah, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want a plan you're happy with, you can call Right now, and get a price within two minutes. A very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. I'm Jenna Ellis and taking your calls. Let's get to Joe out of Alabama. We are talking, of course, about uh, Sheila Jackson Lee and this ridiculous, uh, ridiculous piece of legislation that wants to outlaw um, essentially any motivation that the government deems is hate speech uh, that is geared and motivated by white supremacy in the government's mind. So, of course, that would be any conservative because they think that we're all white supremacists and they think we're all racists and we're all conspiracy theorists and all of these other labels that they would like to project. So, uh, Joe from Alabama, good morning. You're on with Jenna Ellis in the morning. Good morning. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Um, unfortunately, I'm not shocked at Congressman Lee. Since 1850, there's been a consist- two consistent themes that the Democrat Party has never swerved from. They've never swerved from their addiction to racism, 
and they've never swerved from their addiction to big government, um, to re- government repression. Um, I like to tell people um, there's a reason that Jefferson Davis was a Democrat. Um, uh, President Wilson was a Democrat. Robert Byrd was a Democrat. George Wallace was a Democrat. James O. Eastland was a Democrat. Franklin Roosevelt, who ran um, concentration camps for United States citizens, was a Democrat. It's mighty inconvenient that none of the none of the American citizens that he put in his concentration camps were lily white. Not one. I challenge anybody to find me one lily white that he put in his concentration camp. So my point is, I said I like to say, this is typical Democrat. This is the way they are. If you look back to 18, there's a, you know, slavery was a Democrat program. Uh, segregation was a Democrat program. I'm old, old enough to have lived under, um, in a, you know, in Alabama, segregated restaurants, you know. Alabama heart, uh, had – try to find me a Republican governor that Alabama had prior to 1978. Good luck with that one. You let me know what you find. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. And, you know, what's so sad about this as well is that the Democrats are now promoting more segregation in schools, and they're trying to reverse all of the things that the civil rights movement promoted and tried to create a better, more perfect union and to eradicate, of course, uh, slavery, which the whole Civil War um, in context uh, was fought for. And all of these things of American history that we have seen, we have had blights in our history, of course, and things that weren't great, but we have moved through that to create a more perfect union. And that's actually the subject of uh, a great article that I read this week, um, American history, both the good and the bad is still worth celebrating. And so my next guest is uh, Jim Nels is actually the author of this piece. And this goes hand in hand with what we're talking about, because um, he, he writes that this campaign to erase and cancel the parts of our history that woke activists have deemed unacceptable is at its core Marxist. Indeed, Marxists and authoritarian leaders have never had a problem altering history History to fit their narrative. And so, Jim, um, I, I really appreciate you coming on today, especially in in light of this ridiculous legislation that the Democrats are trying to pass uh, in D.C. that is just not only erasing history and where we've come from, but it's actually trying to further foment and promote racism. So um, what is your your take overall on why this article was important to write right now? So good morning, and thanks for having me, Jenna. It's, the, the article is important to write right now because I spent a lot of time with my children over Christmas break, and they're both uh, in college right now. And my daughter, as a freshman, came home and told me that there are times where she's terrified to talk because there are people in her school that if they hear you say the wrong thing, even if you're not talking to them, they'll run to the administration to report you. And it had just this Orwellian feeling to me, and it made me want to sit down and start thinking about what are we canceling? What are we doing? And we're, li- we're living in a country now where we can have statues of Satan. We can have statues of Stalin, Lenin, and Mao, but we tear down statues of Thomas Jefferson and Theodore Roosevelt. And then we want to have the government tell us what words are offensive, and Stanford is telling us what words are offensive with their elimination of harmful language initiative, where they want to eliminate, not just eliminate, but scrub words 
such as American, master, as in I have mastered the game of golf. You guys, guru, blind review and white paper are all deemed as harmful language. And, you know, now we're getting to the point where they want to even ban gas stoves because gas stoves are offensive to people who want green energy. It's, it's just a shame that my kids have to go through this right now. Yeah, I I completely agree and very well said. I'm talking with Jim Nels, who uh, wrote a great piece in uh, the Washington Examiner. The the headline is, American history, both the good and the bad, is still worth celebrating. And I thought this was such a great piece, especially in light of uh, the current culture and and the culture wars and especially the debate with CRT and now what uh, Representative Sheila Jackson Lee is trying to promote. Because what you're saying, Jim, that your daughter is going through, I mean, this is exactly what Sheila Jackson Lee wants people like your daughter to go through, where if they have an opinion that is somehow offensive, they have a statement or an idea or a belief then they have to think twice before expressing that because if it doesn't go along with the viewpoint that is preferred, then you're going to be shut down. You're going to be called all of these, you know, racist uh, or other labels that are totally inappropriate. Um, But I think the point here that American history, both the good and the bad is worth celebrating, um, is is really profound more so than, than we would think just off the top because, we can't understand where we are going to fulfill the mandate of the Declaration of the Constitution to create a more perfect union until we know more perfect than what? We have to exactly. have a contrast. And we have to look back and say, okay, here were some very dark moments in American history, but what did we learn from that? What about world history? But that's exactly what government-funded institutions and education systems don't want to teach. They just want to say, we are moving forward into this progressive utopia that's simply an idea that doesn't match with reality. And so how should we think about American history um, celebrating that in a way that models why we are creating a more perfect union? I think we should celebrate American history the same way we celebrate an individual that overcomes trials and tribulations, such as, let's say, a drug addict who cleans him or herself up or an alcoholic who gets clean, right? Let's use slavery as an example. Slavery is just a a terrible thing that that happened as we created our country. But the Founding Fathers laid the groundwork to eliminate slavery in the way that they wrote the the Constitution. And then... We fought a civil war where 600,000 Americans died in order to free the slaves. Now, let me give you an idea of what 600,000 dead means. That means that more people died in the Civil War than World War I, World War II, Korea, and Vietnam combined. So we recognized when we made a mistake, and we were willing to die to fix it. And we've done that throughout our history with the way that um, the Republicans passed uh, legislation uh, trying to— fix the segregation and, and things like that, the, the equal rights that the Republicans passed, not the Democrats. And so we, we bend over backwards. I think back to when the military was finally given permission by Congress to integrate. And the military attacked that like they were attacking a foreign enemy. They integrated faster than you can imagine. And it's, you know, we need to celebrate the way that we've changed, not, the, not eliminate the way that we've been. 
Yeah, very well said. I'm talking with Jim Nels, um, who is a supply chain consultant based out of Chicago and wrote a great piece in uh, the Washington Examiner that's titled American History, Both the Good and the Bad is Still Worth Celebrating. And that reminds me, uh, Jim, this weekend I was um, with my boyfriend at the United States Capitol, actually in D.C., and we went on a tour with um, a staff member from Jim Jordan's office who was explaining, you know, some of the history and all of this. And of course, the statues uh, in the rotunda and even you know, around well outside of the Capitol and basically anywhere in the United States are controversial at this point. Um, but he pointed out that it's actually the states that fund and have the authority to determine uh, which statues are in the Capitol. And there have been some that are more controversial than others and some states that don't like to talk to each other because of their statues. And I'm thinking, you know, this is so ridiculous that if someone is is merely controversial on some basis that offends the Democrat or leftist wing or some of these very, very blue states, that somehow we don't honor and recognize uh, that person's contribution to American greatness. Or even if that person is a controversial figure because they weren't perfect in everything that they did in their life. I mean, we can even point to uh, things, and people did yesterday with Martin Luther King Jr., you know, pointing out some of his sins in the past. If anyone looks at me, I mean, I am a sinner that thankfully is saved by the grace of God. I am not a, a perfect person whatsoever. And so if we have that as the standard, that only the viewpoint currently in today's era is acceptable, then we can't have any statues or history of anyone because that viewpoint and what's acceptable will change on the whim of the dominant society. And so, you know, you make this point um, as well in this piece that things that were perfectly acceptable in eras past are now being reviewed today at, in a critical light. And so so the left's answer to that is not learning from the past. It's simply erasing it and saying, well, we can't allow those people to have any, um, any visibility whatsoever and their contributions that were good to society or even their contributions that we can learn from we have to just erase them completely. But isn't that the goal of the left is to say we want to erase the history so that we can redefine and reimagine is often a, a word that they use, reimagine this utopian society that has never been based on reality or based on man's sin. It's always been just based on this philosophy that is a utopian ideal that man can achieve a godlike status, and they want this reinvention in order to erase history. So I, I agree with you mostly, but what I would say is they want to erase history so that they can instill, install their history. And I think the 1619 Project is a perfect example of that, right? We limit their, their saying 1619 is the year America was founded on slavery because that's when the first slave ship showed up, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, fine. But America wasn't founded in 1619. It was founded in 1776. Were there slaves in the colonies? Yes, but you know what? Those were British colonies, not American colonies. And the narrative, though, has become we're evil because in 1619 the first slaves set foot on America, uh, on the, on, in, into the colonies. Now, I'm not defending slavery, like I said in the piece. Just because I'm writing about what people believed at the time doesn't mean that I support what they believed at the time. But you can't hold people accountable for things that were norms at the time, judging them by today's standards. If that's the case, then we are all going to be wiped all out of history. Look at what they do to um, poor Haiti McDaniel, 
the first African-American to win an Academy Award for her role in Gone with the Wind. HBO Max has eliminated Gone with the Wind, so therefore they've eliminated Katie McDaniel, who could be a role model to thousands of African-American aspiring actors and actresses because she overcame something in 1940 and won an Academy Award as the only African-American to ever do that. And now she's gone. She's gone from history. Wow. And yeah, you, I, I agree with you. And this is where the you're totally right that if the standard is the subjective whim of whatever our current society views as acceptable, then everyone eventually will be erased from history because whatever the dominant viewpoint or what was acceptable, uh, you know, back in the 1800s or the 1950s or whatever will not be the dominant cultural viewpoint to the left today. And so that's why also we have to have a standard that is objective. And it's not just uh, being on the right side of history. It's about being on the right, correct side that aligns with truth that is eternal. And so when the Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, it means that the morality and the truth that flows from God himself as the person of truth never changes. And so whether or not a given society views a particular act in, in a certain lens doesn't matter to the standard of truth. And this is why our founders gave us a wonderful standard in the Declaration of Independence, talking about self-evident truth, talking about our relationship with God and saying that God, our creator, is the one that gave us rights so that we can't just reinvent and reimagine the definition of rights. And that's what's going on in society today, because if Democrats like Sheila Jackson Lee don't like your viewpoints and she thinks you're a white supremacist, then sorry, you don't have the right to speak freely. That's how the Democrats manipulate this and this standard. Um, But Jim Nels, thanks so much for joining me today. This is an excellent piece. American history, both the good and the bad, is still worth celebrating. So we are almost out of time uh, here already. The hour already goes by so fast here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. And I just want to um, encourage you as well to always stand for truth and make sure that you have the objective moral standard and that you recognize when you are debating these issues and these uh, this type of legislation, always come back to the standard, not just my viewpoint versus Sheila Jackson Lee's, but what is the standard of truth? We all have the God-given right to speak freely, even if we disagree with each other, and that is what our Constitution preserves and protects. So I'm Jenna Ellis. You're listening to American Family Radio, and I will see you tomorrow. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.